You guys can have a seat. Um, Rick is teaching us from Luke 8, 22 through 25 this morning. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? So this, uh, this story is probably familiar to a lot of you, that Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples, and he falls asleep, and the storm comes, and they freak out, and Jesus calms the storm. Um, I want to point us to, to three lessons that we can learn from this, from this uh, story, and, and understand, again, this is uh, our series is Conversations with Jesus, and we're studying a different conversations that Jesus had with the, with the intent, with the purpose for us to, to begin to understand what the character of Jesus is and allow that character to shape us and allow that character to, to uh, even cause us to worship. And I think that's what happens this morning. So the first lesson for us to learn this morning is they, the disciples, were helpless in the storm and Jesus was not. And then to apply that practically to you, you are helpless in the storm, and Jesus is not. Um, so obviously the storm for us is uh, a proverbial storm. Storms could be uh, pain. Storms could be danger. Storms could be uncertainty. Storms could be any number of things. But in the midst of a storm, you, of yourself, are helpless. Um, this is, look at the cry of the disciples' hearts. Um, he says, Master, Master, we are perishing. You are helpless in a storm, but Jesus is not. And Jesus responds to their cry by calming the storm. Um, when things get upside down, when people disappoint you, when you fail, when you are failed, when people around you look for answers, when you just don't know what to do, this ought to be our cry. Master, master, we are perishing. Um, one of the most consistent lessons that I'm forced to learn as a pastor and as a husband and as a father, three of probably the, the three most important roles in my life, pastor, husband, father. One of the lessons I learned with the most consistency is this one. Um, I tend to rely on Rick initially. Something, a storm happens in one of those worlds. My immediate response is to rely on myself and the gifts that God has given to me. Um, and I think that, one, we're, we're like pre-wired to do that. When something bad happens, let's snap into action. Let's do something. Um, and this story doesn't say anything, but I wonder what the disciples did when the, boat, when the boat began to take on water, what, like what did they do? But, and that's kind of our role, but more than just like our like predisposed reaction to act, I think this world also calls us to be independent. You, you, you've, have you found that to be true? Like this world pushes you towards 
Like your own personal resolve, your own personal strength. You need to rise up. You need to go and be, take your, take command of your destiny. Like all these things are happening and you, like you're hearing these words. I want to take for myself. I'm going to get mine. I want to rise up and do what, what I can do. But this is, the message of the gospel is contrary to that. And, and while I don't think that there's generally anything wrong with independence, there is something wrong when our immediate focus is like we have the solutions to all the problems. The news is that you don't. And here, here's the thing on Father's Day. I just, I just kind of began to think about this today. And this is something that I, I usually think about midday on Father's Day. Is it's, we don't all have good fathers. I understand that there are people that are in this room that, that don't or didn't have a good dad. Um, let me say this. For those of us who didn't have a good dad or don't have a good dad, or for those of us who do have a good dad, or for those of us who are good dads, the weight of your hope and the weight of your joy cannot be withstood by your father. Um, you have one hero, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one that can withstand the weight of your hope. Your fathers can't. You can't. Here's a list of things that can't withstand the weight of your hope, and they're going to be on the screen. You. And this is contrary to the beliefs that our world and our enemy, Satan, is telling us. You cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Your gifts cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Your spouse cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Your parents cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Your friends cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going through these quickly, but I, I hope that somehow one of these will poke into you. Your pastor cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Please don't put that on me. I can't withstand the weight of your hope. I will fail you. And I probably have failed you this week, even if you didn't know it. This church cannot withstand the weight of your hope. A better school cannot withstand the weight of your hope. A better job cannot withstand the weight of your hope. Things going your way cannot withstand the weight of your hope. All of these things in a storm will fail. Every one of them. Every one of them in a storm will fail. When we completely trust in human beings, they fail us. You will eventually fail. I will eventually fail. I will hurt you and you will hurt me. If we require human beings to withstand the weight of our hope, we will be disappointed every time. There are, one of the things that like, I've, I've come to realize about the way that I preach is I tended to preach higher stuff and not very practical. This is incredibly practical. People will fail you, stuff will fail you, things will fail you, and our reaction when people fail us is indicative 
of where our hope is. When someone, when I fail you, if your hope is in me, you're going to run away and join a different church. When this church fails you, if this church is your hope, you're going to run away. If your friends fail you, you're going to run away from those friends. But if your hope is in Christ, you, you give grace. Here, here's an inter- some interesting things that I've that I found this week. Some of my greatest heroes, Martin Luther King Jr. was an adulterer. Martin Luther was an anti-Semite. Jonathan Edwards was a slave owner. King David, an adulterer murderer. Moses killed someone with his bare hands. Peter was a coward, irrational, and disloyal. Every great human being who's walked the face of the earth, aside from Jesus Christ, has failed and will continue to fail. The best people, even the best people, are all incapable of sustaining your complete trust and surrender. But Jesus is capable. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You've probably memorized this at some point as in, in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Here's the thing about verses we've had memorized for a long time. We sometimes forget the heart of what they're saying. This is very simple and very practical. Do not lean on your own understanding. And, and like lean on, lean on. Think about like if you're leaning against the wall, you're, you're, you're counting on the wall to be strong enough to hold you up. Don't lean on your own understanding because it can't hold you up. This table is holding this computer up. Your understanding is not able to hold up you. But instead of leaning on your own understanding, do this. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So what does that tell you? When storms come, do you bail water out of the boat or do you go to Jesus? Seriously, this lesson will save you so much pain and so much grief and so much stress. And it's a lesson that I've had to learn three, four, five hundred times. And several times this week and many times last week. The second thing, lesson to learn from this story, this conversation, Jesus is calling the disciples to a clearer understanding of who he is. And by extension, Jesus is calling you to a clearer understanding of who he is. Notice that the people here are never really in danger. The disciples are never really in danger. um, Whenever we're, uh, Jen and I are are driving someplace in a parking lot and and there's a a tight parking space and you, like, you got to pull in the car into a tight parking space. Jen is always freaking out about you're going to hit that car. You're really close to that car. You're going to hit that. You're really close. And I think about this. There's two definitions to really close. One is you're a couple of inches away. That's, that's one definition of close. The other definition of close is you may or may not hit that other car. You understand the difference? Like 
Jen's car has this, we, we, we were given this car with this really cool thing where it beeps at you if you get close. So we're pulling it and it's, if I'm driving that car, it starts beeping, beep, 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 and she starts freaking out. You're, you're really close to that car, but I am close in a matter of inches, like proximity, but I'm not close and I'm not gonna hit the car. While I might be a couple of inches away, I'm not gonna hit it. And I think that we treat this this way. The clearest understanding of, 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 of storms in our life is that second definition of close. While there may be storms and there may be difficulties and there may be hardships pressing in on us, you're not gonna hit the car. You might be close in terms of literal proximity, but you're not close and that there's no danger of you hitting that car. Do you see the difference? And this is what Jesus wants to say to you. Here's the, the beautiful part about all of this entire story is that Jesus made all of this happen. Like Jesus is, is making things happen in your life so that he can be proven to be the hero. The other part about who Jesus is here, this is very simple. Where was Jesus when the storm happened? Not rhetorical. Where was he? What was he doing? He was sleeping. Jesus is a man and he can be tired. And when you begin to chase that, like there's nothing in your world, scripture says this elsewhere, there's nothing in your world that, that you've been tempted by, that you've seen, that you've engaged with, that Jesus wasn't also tempted by and seen and engaged with. He's been tempted by what you've been tempted by. He's been hurt. He's been troubled. He's been lonely. He's been tired. Jesus has been all of the negative emotions in your world that make you think the storms are pressing in. Jesus has been there. Tired, lonely, afraid, hurt, killed even. Jesus has been all of those things. But I want to say one thing that I want to say about what the disciples have learned here and what we can learn here about a clear understanding of who Jesus is, is Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable. I want to say that again. Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable. And, and go back to the first one, the first lesson of, of going to Jesus, master, master, we are perishing. Like when we know and understand that Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable, our first reaction when, a, when something uncontrollable is happening is to go to him. Do you know, this is something I learned this, this week. The lake that they're crossing here, there is a massive, a massive fault in the ground under that lake. And likely what happened was there, there may have been some sort of like, like it's not a tsunami because it's not in the ocean, but like earth shifting, causing these waves to fly up. And, and this is uncontrollable. The natural disaster, the natural thing that's happening in, this, in the world of the disciples is uncontrollable. Imagine, like, think about the, the tsunamis. That, like, you've seen those pictures and those videos of, of those massive waves coming up, the tsunami. Jesus said, stop. 
and it stopped. Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable. And that is incredible news. When we're faced with stress, when we're faced with, with this is really close, Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable. What an incredibly hopeful thing. Whatever has brought you grief, whatever is torn at your hope this week, Jesus is in control of that. Let me say that again. Whatever is, has torn at your hope, whatever has, has brought you stress and grief and hardship this week, Jesus is in control of that. The place where you find yourself in the least control is the best place for you to be because it took these disciples to be in a boat with Jesus, living their lives with him, thinking that they were near death for them to run to Jesus. So the place where you think you are in the least control is the place where Jesus shows up the most. Like this is, this is really good, incredible news. These men thought they were perishing, but they were not. Sometimes you think that you are perishing, but you are not because you're held by a Jesus who's in control of the uncontrollable. Seriously, you guys, incredible news. The last lesson for us to learn. Jesus orchestrated events to build their faith. Jesus is orchestrating events to build your faith. Have you ever looked back at hardship, difficult seasons of life, and thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm better positioned in my life because that happened. Jesus does things and causes things to happen so that we'll learn to trust him. What do you think the, the next time these disciples had stress or, or difficulty, what do you think? Do you think that they were remembering? Remember that one time when we thought we were going to die and Jesus told the storm to be still? Like seriously, think about the incredible nature of that. They're thinking they're going to die and Jesus says, be still and it's still. And the reason that happened was so that they could be taught when hard stuff happens, I'm your hero. And we have to be able to learn to apply that to our lives. When hard stuff happens for us, our first and last response is Jesus is the hero. Because faith is of greater worth than gold. Faith is of greater worth than gold. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this... You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. I want to stop and, and, and look at, at these, these verses here. Um, look, look closely here. 
In this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Like there's, there's a design, there's a design to your grief. There's a design to your, tr- like Jesus has a plan for your grief and your trial. Does that change your perspective when you look at it? When you look at this issue that gives you so much grief and so much stress and so much negativity that God has a design in it. Seriously. Verse 7, that design is that the genuineness of your faith may prove to, which is more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, that faith might result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. Um, in seminary, I did a, an in-depth study of, of this verse and that phrase, result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And what this means is hardship, difficulty, stress, trials, when those things happen, they have a design, and that design is that Jesus might be revealed to you. Like we might see and understand the nature and character of Jesus more readily and more quickly and more purely because of the trial. And the result of that, when we see Jesus more purely, our result is praise, glory, and honor to him. It's like sometimes people gather together in a, in, a, in a vehicle and drive their families across the country and they fight and yell and, and, and everyone hates the car ride and it's miserable and, and, and the kids won't be quiet and the mom and dad are yelling and screaming at each other, but they drive all the way across the country to see something beautiful, to engage with something beautiful. It's the same idea. God brings trials in your life so that he might be revealing his son Jesus and that in the revelation of Jesus we might see praise, glory, and honor because he's so beautiful and so incredible. And there's nothing more beautiful because your faith, this is teaching and strengthening your faith, it's of greater worth than gold. What if we acted as if that were true? If we spent our time and our money and our energy and our gifts and our talents on strengthening our faith. What if we did that? What if we believed that our faith was of greater worth than gold? Another passage about storms, James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Go back to our story. Their faith was tested. Jesus proved to be more powerful than the storms and could control the uncontrollable. And that produced in the disciples a steadfastness. And then that steadfastness, verse 4, let it have its full effect. Let the steadfastness of seeing Jesus win and control time after time. Let that steadfastness have its full effect. And that full effect is you 
being perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Who would like to be perfect and complete and lack nothing? The path to that is to face a trial and then watch Jesus solve that trial and then in the next one trust him that he's going to solve this trial. The result is steadfastness and when steadfastness fully works its way into all of you, you would be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Our, our minds are so susceptible to this world telling us what to desire that we just don't believe this. That faith is of greater worth than gold. That, that Jesus is in control of the uncontrollable. That we ought to be running to him as our hero and no one or no thing else. That, that trials bring us joy because they produce steadfastness. When difficulty comes, Jesus is teaching you to trust him. And that leads ultimately to your completeness. It's beautiful. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for trials. Thank you for hardship. God, I pray in the crucible of those moments when we are on fire, when we're burning, when people around us fail, when we fail others, God, I pray in those moments that your voice would be as loud as the tyranny of that moment, God. And your voice would be louder than the tyranny of that moment, Father. And we would hear you calling us to run to you. We would see you as, as the one who's been tempted and hurt and lonely and, and, and uncertain even, Father. And God, would we see you as the only hero in our lives? And God, I pray that, that, that we would not try to place the weight of our hope on stuff that cannot sustain it, Father, but instead run to you who is in complete control of the uncontrollable. God, I thank you for this place that you've given us to do life and, and be together, Father. And I, I thank you for the spirit of, of freedom that you've given to us to, to not have to bear the weight of one another's hope, Father, but instead journey together towards the cross, journey together towards the perfection of your son, our hero, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray I pray with fervor this morning, Father, that you would do a work in us by the testing of our faith that would show us that you and the faith that you give are of greater worth than gold. And we might have
have your son Jesus revealed to our hearts because of what you've caused to happen in our lives. And God, may we, we see you as our only hope. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his wonderful and holy and perfect name that I pray. Amen.